access our television program from there. What I mean is you can go to our Real Family Talk with Willie and Elaine Oliver uh, Hope Channel television program from that site. And of course, there are more than 130-minute segments of our television program that you have access to. So there's a lot of information there, yes. Yes, we have done some stuff for 3ABN. I hear they're still running some of those programs. You switched from Hope to 3ABN. Okay. Uh, well, just. Oh, you know, you can get it online. You can get, you can so get our program online. It comes online, so and so if you go to the site, it will tell you all that information, and you can get it online as well. So but you have access to over 130-minute uh, segments already. HopeTV.org. So if you don't have it on your package, you can get it online. And then I hear from some people, there's something called Roku. <laughs> and you can get Hope TV. So you ask someone. It's I hear it's very inexpensive. That's what people tell me. It's pretty inexpensive. And you can connect to Hope. Because I've heard a lot of people, in fact, in Washington, D.C. area, we don't have Hope TV on our regular package, believe it or not. <laughs> you have to get Roku or watch it online. So, and See, $110 at Walmart, Roku. One-time one fee, you just buy it and you hook it up. Ask one of these wonderful people to help you out. Because <laughs> they are doing some wonderful programs on, on Hope TV. All right. Also, our books are still available. Oops. Um, Eric, can you help me and hit play? Hit play, please. I hit, I hit the wrong button here and... Yeah, it's all on there. Thank you. So our books are still available at the ACBC. Um, the Real Family Talk answers to questions about love, marriage, and sex. Um, and also, the most recent book, Hope for Today's Families, which is next year's um, Missionary Book of the Year. Can I get just a little bit more juice on this one? Just a tiny, just, just a little bit. I don't want to use too much voice. Text, test, test. That's good, thank you. Because I still have my voice to use this weekend in New York City. Anyway, so this book uh, is an amazing little book and a lot of what we've shared here this week, you can find in this book, a lot of what we've shared. And the best news is that because it's the missionary book for 20, 19, it's been subsidized all the way down, and when we got to the bookstore yesterday, um, the manager told us that it's a dollar, a dollar, because they mean for you to buy several copies and share with your friends and your neighbors. You know why? Because a great controversy is raging in our family relationships, and if we can help people with their family relationships, we can help save them and their families for the kingdom of God. So let's right. begin, Elaine. How do we begin? So you're talking about communicating with grace. Am I the one who begins? Yes. Elaine says, I begin. So when she says, I begin, I begin. We begin with the book of Proverbs, chapter 25, verse 11. And it's one of our favorite texts. Read this with me. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Written by the wisest man that ever lived, inspired by the Spirit of God. You can't get better than this. 
a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. When you look at the original in Hebrew, it doesn't say apples of gold. It says oranges of gold. And there was a reason for that. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Last year, we were in Israel, and um, um, even though we are in Israel, most of the churches are, are of expats. There's only one Hebrew church in, in Israel, and it's in Jerusalem, and it meets at the Jerusalem Center, uh, uh, the Avenue Jerusalem Center, and Elaine and I were there last year, and the pastor of that congregation is the only real Hebrew pastor in Israel. There are others who speak Hebrew, uh, Seventh-day Adventists, of course, but they're either Ukrainian or Russian or something else. This is the only one. And uh, what he told us, we, we, we used this text, and he says, you know, uh, it, it's really oranges, oranges, because oranges were given to kings back in the day. Okay, so our words, as we speak to each other, need to be as a gift that you're giving a king. So picture that and absorb that and think about it. A word fitly spoken. As we speak to each other, we need to speak as if we're giving a gift of gold and silver. Gold in a setting of silver. Imagine if every time, David, you spoke to Lynn, your words were like a gift of gold and silver. Imagine that, Lynn. And he probably does always. <laughs> Imagine that. How many of you like gold? Silver? I'll take both. You know? Imagine if every single time you spoke to your spouse, you spoke to your children, to your grandchildren, to people in the church, to your neighbors, you spoke as if you were giving a gift of gold and silver. That's what the wise man is saying when he gives us this passage of Scripture, a word fitly spoken. So we're talking about communicating with grace, and how does that tie in with, with this text? So what is grace? Unmerited favor, undeserved. And so someone might be saying, but what if my spouse doesn't deserve to be spoken to as if she's a queen? What if my husband doesn't deserve to be spoken to as if he's a king? The same patience. But we're adding to it now the whole notion of grace. <laughs> grace, is, grace is not needed. Um, but we do need it every day in our relationship. So in order for us to do this, we have to be thinking about communicating with grace, doing it because we have chosen to bless the other person when we speak. Also, we say grace because, and we communicate with grace because we have received grace from Jesus Christ. Because we have been the recipients of his grace, we offer grace to each other as a gift. A gift that we can only give because we've received the grace of Christ. 
Now I want you to tell them about the fit. When I quit speaking, I said, okay, Elaine is going to come in and tell them about fitly, a word fitly. Tell them about the fitly, Elaine. Well, what I, I like the, the message version. And in the message, um, it says uh, it's like custom-made, a word fitly spoken. It's like custom-made jewelry. And the don't get hooked up on the word jewelry. It's the custom-made that it's saying, the fitly spoken. So in other words, when I use these words, I am going to make sure that it fits the person I'm speaking to. So sometimes we say, well, that's just how I am. You know, my house, the way we grew up, we just spoke like that and it didn't mean anything. But it says a word fitly spoken. So if we're communicating with grace, if we're going to give words as if they are gifts of apples in golden apples, then we need to make sure that it fits the person that we're communicating with. It can't just be about me. I mean, it can be about me if I live by myself, right? So, if, I mean, if you don't want to be in relationship, then just go be a hermit yeah. and live on your own somewhere. But as long as we're in relationship with someone else and we want to communicate with this person, our communication then needs to fit the person that we're speaking to. Now, I usually like to use this especially for children because a lot of times... We, when we speak to our children, and I, I went down to small children, but specifically now I want to speak about teenagers. Sometimes it's challenging for us to speak to teenagers because what we know about teenagers is that during their developmental task of adolescence, their brains are not quite totally connected to their tongues. So What's their tongues kind of have a life of their own. And they say things that um, may not fit <laughs> the person they're speaking to who's usually their parents. But we're the adults in the relationship. And we're past that developmental stage. And our brains should now be connected to our tongues. And so we want to be sure that when we speak to our teenagers, even if... They don't deserve our kindness, or we don't think they deserve it, or we don't think they deserve our respect, that we go back to this text where it says a word fitly spoken. So we stop and we think about the fact, you know, they may be going through a difficult time, and it is a difficult time. And trust me, this is a really difficult time for adolescents. Being an adolescent in the current world that we live in has to be very difficult. It's nothing like that we can imagine. So we want to be sure that our words fit them, that, we, that we're trying to understand them. This morning on the news, we saw a very sad story where there was a 14-year-old, I believe, who was on the beach, and she was very rude to the police officer. And the police officer suspected that she and her friend were drinking. And so he wanted to give, they wanted to give her a breathalyzer. And she was just mouthing off. But 
the, the response of the police officers was just unbelievable. They actually handcuffed this girl, had her down on the ground, beat her up because she mouthed off to them. And I know someone might be saying, she's well, she deserved it. But I'm thinking, she was 14 years old. Like, she's just doing what 14-year-olds do. It, don't get me started, though, with the alcohol in society as well, because I'm thinking, and she's also doing what the rest of society does, which is to drink. So how would we expect our teenagers to do differently when we make such a, a big, we're such big supporters of alcohol in this society, but that's a whole nother story. But she um, was beaten and handcuffed because she was rude. I know I'm getting off a little bit. But I understand the response of the officer because he got heightened. And that's actually what we're going to continue talking about today. How do we control ourselves to the point where we can actually speak in this way? When someone is not responding to us with kindness, with respect, where we feel that the person that we're communicating with doesn't deserve our words of gold, of golden apples in settings of silver. Yeah. You know, just before we move off from here, I want to say this, because I think it's important. Many times parents have difficulty with their children because they say, I love my children all the same. First of all, that's not true, because you love the ones better that listen to you. <laughs> I mean, you don't, have to, you don't have to confess to me, I know. <laughs> Parents like to say, I love my children all the same. It's not true. You love the ones that pay attention to you, that laugh at your jokes, that go when you say go, that come when you say come. You like them better than the others. But having said that. <laughs> Everyone's scared. They're like, having said don't that, move. <laughs> having said that, we also like to say, I love my children all the same. I treat them all the same. Your children don't need you to treat them all the same because they have different temperaments. It means they have different needs. It means that if you're treating them all the same, one of them is going to become a physician and the other one is going to be a, uh, something else, a bum, a beach bum. Okay? Uh, you know, because children need different things. People need different things. A and you know that. If you have more than one child, you know that. We have two children, and we knew it immediately. You know, <laughs> our daughter and our son, they're so different. And it's not only because one is male and one is female. They're so different. So this is something you need to keep in mind. Who are you speaking to? A word fitly spoken. Are you speaking to your son who might be phlegmatic? Or are you speaking to your daughter who might be choleric? Who are you speaking to? And how do you speak to these people? You need to pay attention. And you need to exercise grace. All right, so a little bit more. Circle of control. All right, so we, we've borrowed from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits. And the first habit talks about a concept of living within your circle of control. It's actually part of habit number one of the seven habits of highly effective people or highly effective families. So if I were to ask you, what is it that you have control of in your life? What would you say? Anybody? Your health, yes. What you eat, your time, your thoughts, your reactions, your words. All right, very good. All of the things that you mentioned, again, are 
things that you can control of who? Myself, right? So can I control my spouse's health? Why not? I can influence, but can I control his health? What about a two-year-old? Can I control a two-year-old? Thank you. No, I'm so glad so many of you know that. We try to. <laughs> we try. I like the word influence. All right, so the only person I can control is myself. I can't control his words. She tries. <laughs> and you try. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I can't control his thoughts. I can't control his food intake. I can't control yours. <laughs> um, I can only control myself. And so when, when we're talking about living in our circle of control, that's what we're talking about. Are you putting it up? Yep. All right, so that is my circle of control. And outside of that is my circle of no control. Those things that I have no control over. And that's everything outside of myself. Now, how many of us spend most of our days trying to control someone else, living outside of our circle of control? We go outside and it's raining and we don't have an umbrella and what do we do? We get wet, but what else do we do? We complain, we fuss. Our mood is down. Well, maybe not here at this camp because this is just a zen place. Like it rains, no problem. But in regular life, we fuss, we complain, we're in a bad mood. How many of you can control the rain? If you can, let me know. Not a one of us. But we, we spend a lot of time complaining. How about traffic? Someone cuts in front of you in traffic, and then you spend the next 10, 15 minutes veggie cursing. <laughs> and some of it's well, not so veggie. Yeah, some of it is not so veggie. This person, person's long gone, they've cut in front of you. You know, you didn't ram your car into them, but you, you know, you're gonna spend the next 15 minutes fussing and complaining. And you've spent so much of your time living outside of your circle of control. And the more time we spend living in our circle of no control, the smaller our circle of control gets. And the less influence we have. And I heard many of you say we can influence our spouse, we can influence our children, we can even influence that two-year-old. But if I'm out of control, the less influence I have. Is that making sense? Now, do you know that in the Bible, there are, I counted it last week and I wrote it down, but don't quote me on this, look it up yourself, but there are about anywhere from 14 to 20 instances in the Old and New Testament that speaks about self-control. Isn't that amazing? Now I wonder why. So it's important for us to learn how to exercise self-control. It's one of the fruit of the spirit, right? 
We need to learn to live in our circle of control, to control those things that I can control. And really, the major thing that I can control is myself. So what if my spouse is eating in an unhealthy way and I sat with her in the doctor's office and he said that, well, I'll speak about myself. My doctor, I, I, you've known about all my health problems. I've been having some health challenges. And every doctor I go to, they say, well, if you just lose 10 pounds. So I tell my husband, okay, sweetheart, I need to lose 10 pounds. So I need you to help me. Like if we go to potluck and there's a lot of dessert, I'm not gonna eat dessert today, okay? So you, you help me out and you tell me, sweetheart, remember, don't eat dessert. Um, and so then he tries to tell me, oh, and I, it gets ugly. <laughs> and he takes this thing too seriously and then he's like, babe, you know, um, you said to, to tell you. I'm like, you know what, back off of that, y you know? So I changed my mind again. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow, mañana. You yeah. know. <laughs> mañana we'll start <laughs> losing so weight. So, you know, and, and then he shakes his head and he says, you know, you're the one who told me that hey, your doctor told you this. Is that your memory? That's not mine. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so, so the point I'm making, though, is that even if your spouse is not doing what they should do and you're trying to help, the only person you can control is yourself. So if you're going to approach someone who's asked you to do what she just said she's asked me to do, when you see them heading towards the precipice, <laughs> what you probably can do is get close and push them? No, no, no. <laughs> get close and say something, darling, do you want me to be a sacrificial lamb here and get between you and the precipice? Would you like me to? Even after she's asked you to, don't do it. <laughs> Ask again, are you really serious about me reminding you? And if she says, no, I'm not serious, then you just walk away. Just walk away. That's a little drastic. No, no, we don't, just, we just don't want anyone to no, no, you know, be on away. the evening news. No, no, I'm just saying, we'll just walk away. <laughs> she's asked you to help. As you approach to help, ask again. Did you ask me, darling, mm -hmm. to remind you? Just ask again. It's a good technique. Don't assume that because she said, please do this, stop me, because she doesn't really mean it. So, <laughs> so since you've seen this movie before, you want to approach gingerly. You know, gingerly. Bathe in the Holy Spirit. That oil of anointing. Sweetheart. So anyway, so that would be living in your circle of control. This one concept right here, we could just end the workshop right here, but we're going to go a little further. But this is really important for us to understand because it's one of the most difficult things for us to um, accomplish and to master in relationships. And if we can master this, we do what John Gottman says, is we become masters 
in our relationships rather than disasters. Because the more we try to control someone else, the more out of control we become. So let's use the two-year-old again. We've all seen it, right? Your two-year-old throws a tantrum because that's their developmental task. Two-year-olds throw tantrums. So if anyone has a baby and they're throwing a tantrum, that's what they're supposed to do. So just look at them and say, oh, how cute. They're just, they're on task. They're, they're, they're right where they're supposed to be. But what we do is we get frustrated because, one, we're embarrassed. Oh, my goodness, what are people going to think about our child? <laughs> it's raining. Um, what, are, what are people going to think? But it's late June, Aluska. Um, so um, we start to try to control this child. And you've all seen it, where there is an adult fighting with a two-year-old. And who's getting out of control? The adult. And it looks really bad. Right? And now you're frustrated and you're irritated. So the more we live in our circle of no control, the more out of control we are and the less control we have. And so we need to learn to live in our circle of control. Okay. So let me show you what it looks like when we are in the circle of no control. And we call it reactive. Living your circle of control is what you want to do. When you don't, you're reactive. And this is what reactive looks like. Here's the situation, and it responds immediately. Did you see that? Let's, let's try it again. Oops. Wow. I backed up all the way back. All right. Here we go. Reactive. Well, someone give me a definition of reactive real quickly. Anyone? Reactive. <laughs> Response <laughs> to, to stimulus. stimulus. Okay. Anyone else? Reactive. Reactive. Speak without thinking. Mm -hmm. Out of Out control. control. Okay. All good. All good. Reactive. Look at it. Here's what it looks like. Here's a situation and a response immediately. Okay. Let's give them, uh, let's put some meat on this. What's the situation? Let's call him John and let's call her Mary. Okay. I was going to call on some of you, but I don't want anyone on the spot. So John just come home, just, just got home from work and Mary's in the kitchen because she's gotten home from work 30 minutes ago. She works closer to home. And so John comes in, and he's tired, and he's battled traffic, and he's had some bad meetings at work. Um, some of his items didn't get approved at the board meeting, and he's not too happy, and he's tired. And he comes home, opens the, the door, and Mary says, John, take out the garbage. Now, the last thing John wants to hear is for someone to give him an, an order to do anything, anything. John, take out the garbage. Situation, John, take out the garbage. Response, take it out yourself. Reactive. What has happened just now? Here's what has happened. Allows no space between what is happening to you and how you respond. John allowed no space. He just reacted. Mary says, John, take out the garbage. John says, take it out yourself. <laughs> not a good thing. And then does not consider the consequences and the impact on the relationship. As a man, when I'm up front and speaking, I'm always speaking on behalf of my brothers, and I'm looking out for you. Don't do this. Because I said two days ago that women can go to sleep in a hundred different ways and they're happy. Men, before they go to bed, there's only one real way to go to bed happy. Are you with me, brothers? When you do this, you're, you're not going to go to bed happy. 
you're going to sleep on the couch. So you allow no space between what is happening to you and how you respond, and you do not consider that the plans you have for later on are not going to materialize because you've just sabotaged yourself. Reactive. Elaine's going to show you what proactive looks like. All right, so when we're proactive, what we do is we create a space between what is happening to us and our response. So someone says something, we don't like it, it doesn't feel good, um, that's very natural, but we learn to create a space between what is happening to us before we respond. It also considers the consequences of our actions. So we're, we're going to stop and think about if I respond in the way that I feel like responding, how will it impact my relationship? And again, I, many of you I know no longer have teenagers, but maybe you have grandchildren or there are young adults in your churches. But I'm especially um, moved to speak about how we deal with teenagers because I think many of us um, become so frustrated and we don't stop to think about the impact of our words on very fragile adolescents. Adolescence is the most difficult time of life other than after retirement, they tell me, um, according to you know the developmental um, charts. Um, but adolescence is extremely difficult because there's so many changes that, that they're going through. And we need to think about how our words will impact p these kids, right? So some parents will say, um, the kids will say, well, I hate you. But they don't really mean that, because remember, they, they're, they're having some challenges with the c tongue and the brain connection. But for us to turn around, because it does hurt us when they say it, you know, I, we've said to our kids, you know, we are human, we do have feelings. Um, but to respond equally as hurtful is extremely detrimental to that child. So we really want to create a space between how we're feeling and think about the consequences of the relationship. And so there's a way that we can do this. There is a situation, and before we respond, we're going to do three things. We're going to pause, and we usually say at this point, we're also going to pray. We're going to say a quick prayer, ask the Lord to help us to think through our response, to be patient, to give us the right words to say. Um, and one of the things that we often recommend to people is actually just take a breath. Just take a deep breath. Because what happens to us when someone says something to us that we don't like, our brains actually get hijacked by a little part in our brain called the amygdala. And um, you can look that up. We don't have time to go into all of that but it hijacks us. It's the same place that is hijacked when we eat ice cream. You know, it, it tastes really good and the brain gets, oh wow, I want more of this. Well, the amygdala stores memories, right? So um, when someone says something we don't like, it invokes memories maybe of our own childhood or other relationships that were painful, so there's a knee-jerk reaction that wants to take place, and what we have to learn to do is to control that. And if we breathe, you actually allow oxygen to go to your brain. It really is that simple. 
You allow oxygen to go to your brain, then you can think and you can process and you will have the opportunity to think through a proper response. So the next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna think. We're gonna think about what we should and what we shouldn't say. There are a lot of things we wanna say, but there are a lot of things we shouldn't say because it's not going to be helpful for the relationship. Hey, do you wanna have a great relationship or do you wanna have a disastrous relationship? Do you wanna be a master or a disaster? It's the great controversy all over again. You choose good or you choose evil. And there's often a temptation to say, but he never does it, but she never does it. I'm always the one doing it. But if you're the one who wants to have a good relationship, then exercise grace in your relationship. So we're gonna pause, we're gonna think, and then we're gonna choose the right response. That's how we're, we're proactive. That's how we can communicate with grace. That's how we can give words as if they're apples of gold, as if we're giving to a king, a gift to a king or a queen. So what does scripture have to say about this? I love this, this biblical principle of pausing found in James 1, 19. Read it with me. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We're going to make a statement now, and there might be someone who gets upset, so I'm going to prepare you for it, because the statement is, um, Elaine is a, is a trained um, counseling psychologist. I'm a trained family sociologist and pastoral counselor, and with all the theories that we've studied in psychology and sociology and what have you, all that stuff is in the Bible. If you read the Bible and followed what God said, you wouldn't need sociologists. You wouldn't need psychologists. We've been taken to task by people because we've made that statement in an Adventist setting. Look, all the psychology that the previous slide was telling you about is right there. Look at it. Everyone. Who's that? Father, mother? Sometimes we say children should be seen and not heard. Everyone, everyone. That means dad, that's you. Everyone, quick to listen. Mom, that's you. Everyone, quick to listen. Husband, wife, parents, children, everyone, quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to become angry. When you're quick to listen, you're pausing, slow to speak. Slow to become angry. It's right there. The whole enchilada is right there. If you can live that, you've got it, man. You've got it conquered. If you can live that, you're communicating with grace. Everyone, quick to listen. You know how um, Stephen Covey puts it? Dr. Covey says, uh, he has this technique. He says, listen first, talk second. It's right there. <laughs> Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's right there. The whole gospel of conversation, of communicating, is right there. Mm -hmm. Thank <laughs> you. God created us with two ears and one mouth so we can listen twice as much as we speak. Unfortunately, we do the opposite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe you should say it, Elaine. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Who speaks the most? Who 
do you think speaks the most in our home? <laughs> um, most, uh, most accounts tell us that women do most of the talking. And they have twice as much language as men. You know, twice as many words. Um, that may not be in every family, but on, on average, average, on average, and we found that in every culture, in every culture, in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, in Europe, everywhere we ask the question, the answer is the same. Who speaks the most in families? Here, they tell me. We, tell, we ask the question. They say, ah, women. It's not a bad thing. Women want to make it right. That's why Gottman says, soften the startup. Because we want to make it right, we tend to move forward before thinking. So pause, think, choose, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. It's right in the word of God. So a quick technique. So just following along with my teenager example today, this is not a parenting workshop, but it can benefit all of us. And this will work in all of your relationships. But so your teenager comes home or your grandchild or whoever and says, I hate you. So you say, this is a technique. So I hear you say that you dislike me immensely. I mean, that disarms the other individual, right? Because invariably people are waiting for you to say, I hate you too. Or I hate you back. Or I hate you more. Yeah, I hear you say that you dislike me, that you hate me. What does that do to that person? Well, first of all, it throws them <laughs> because they're not expecting that. But secondly, they felt what? Heard. They felt heard. They felt validated. Yep. You validated them. Now, I know many of us were not, work th were not trained that way. We weren't brought up that way, right? But... We can't continue to perpetuate parenting skills or communication skills or relationship skills that don't work. Mm. How's it working for you? Well, that's the way my grandmother did it. Mm. But is it working for you? I mean, I love grandma, but if grandma got it wrong, we don't want to keep perpetuating wrong, ineffective ways of communicating. We, we, let's just go back to the word of God. Maybe grandma wasn't reading the text right. There's Every a song, you know, there's a song that we sing. I'm sorry, Elaine. There's a song that we sing. And again, don't get upset with the speaker. <laughs> I'm just doing a little analysis here. I keep wondering if I should back away from you. <laughs> you know, it's, um, you know, give me that old time religion. It was good for my grandfather. Or it's good enough for me. No, it's not good enough for me. Truth is progressive. You can't do what your grandfather did. You got to be better. Are you listening to me? <laughs> I mean, come on. You know, you can't, you can't, you know, even the commercial knows it. It's not your father's Oldsmobile. Why? Because there's a new model. And ostensibly, it's an improved model. Remember the days when there were no brake lights on cars, except for the brake lights down here, and then they started putting them on the back window so you could see better? That's a better model than the one that didn't have it. It's a more safe model, okay? So I'm not trying to take away any of your joy. Go back and sing your song if you want to, but process it. Process it. You know what we say to couples when they're getting married and they come to us for, for uh, premarital counseling? And we're doing the family map, the couple and family map from Prepare and Rich. Here's what we do. Here's the technique. What do you like? We asked a couple. What each of you likes? What do you like from your family of origin that you want to bring into your marriage? Okay? Mm -hmm. 
and we ask them both, what do you like from your family of origin that you want to bring into your marriage? And what, don't you, what do you not like from your family of origin that you want to leave out of your marriage? You know what we're saying to them? It was good enough for your mom and pops. It's not going to be good enough for you. That's what we're saying. Come up higher. Come up higher. In other words, every family has toxic patterns, patterns of relating. And what we want to encourage every young person, every young couple is bring the good because every family also has good stuff. Every family has good stuff. We like to talk about dysfunctional family, but every family has good aspects. And every family, even the best families, have toxic aspects. So that we want to change. That we want to change. So do you know what we call it in theology? Sanctification. What does that mean? When we used to sing songs that had a lot of theology in them, these days we only repeat, repeat, repeat stuff that doesn't say anything. <laughs> we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Every round goes higher, higher. Sanctification. What is it saying? We're getting better, as we say in Africa. I love it when I'm in Africa. I can say, we're getting better, not better, but better. <laughs> Growing higher, higher. Why? Jesus is coming. What does Ellen White say? When, when the what of Christ is reproduced, when the character of Christ is reproduced in his people, then he will come. You can't do it the way grandpa did it. You got to be better than grandpa. Are you with me? You can't just say, this is how we did it in my family. Your family did it wrong. How did that work out for you? Sanctification. Grow. In fact, here's the reality of life. You're either growing or you're dying. Take that to the bank. You're either growing or you're dying, regardless of what you're talking about. Academically, you're either growing or you're dying. Relationally, you're either growing or you're dying. Spiritually, you're either growing or you're dying. There's no plateau in the universe. No one is standing still. Everything we do is going to influence our future. What you're going to be, you're now becoming. Are we getting better? Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to be angry. Because Jesus is coming. And John 13, 35 needs to become operative in all of our lives. What is that? By this they will know that you're my disciples. Because of your love, one for the other. What is love? 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. I love the Bible. It all comes together. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, praise God. Hallelujah. What an awesome God we serve. And he left it there. Read it every day. Every day. Ellen White says, if impatient words are spoken to you, he who was slow to anger, you added one, is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Proverbs 16.32. Wise men again. Let's go to the other one. 
So long as we are in the world, we shall meet with adverse influences. There will be provocations to test the temper, and it is by meeting these in a right spirit that the Christian graces are developed. If Christ dwells in us, we shall be patient, kind, and forbearing, cheerful amid frets and irritations. Day by day and year by year, we shall conquer self and grow into a noble heroism. This is our allotted task, but it cannot be accomplished without the help of Jesus. Resolute decision, resolute decision, unwavering purpose, continual watchfulness, and unceasing prayer. It's right there. That's the whole gospel of relationships right there. Live this every day, and your marriage will go from good to great. Live this every day, and your relationship with your teenagers will go from good to great. Live this every day, day by day, huh? day by day. It means you have to do it every day, just like marriage. You have to do it every day, day by day, year by year. We shall conquer self. Paul says, I die daily. What is he talking about? Self, need to conquer self. How do you do, How do, you do that? Through the power of God, through the grace of God, through the power of God. Year by year, he shall conquer self and grow into noble heroism. This is our allotted task. But it cannot be accomplished without the help of Jesus. Can't do it alone. But with Jesus, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. So we know that there are, there are many people who, who've said to us, well, I'll, I'll read it. If impatient words are spoken to you, never respond or reply in the same spirit. So we know that there are many of you who may have grown up in situations where there wasn't unconditional love, where they, there was yelling, where there wasn't um, communication with grace. And um, oftentimes we speak to people who said, how do we change that? Because the things I want to do, as Paul said, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And we bring that baggage into our relationships. And the things that we said we weren't going to bring into our marriage, once we get married, we default. It's like a computer that defaults to factory settings. That's what happens to us. We get into a relationship, and we just automatically, we go back into automatic pilot. So we said we weren't going to um, get frustrated about the way towels are folded because that's the way it happened in our home. But then we get married and we do the same thing. So we have to make conscious decisions every day not to follow that path. So just a little neurobiology. So every habit that we have, there's a neural pathway that's formed in our brain. So like if you drive to work the same way every day, there's a neural pathway that's formed. So you could actually drive that path with your eyes closed. Don't do that, please. But you actually could. Now, if you want to start taking a different route, you know, you decided, you know what, maybe I want to start taking the scenic route. You have to consciously remember to take that scenic route every day. Otherwise, you'll just go on automatic pilot and you will go the way that you've been going for the past 5, 6, 10, 15 years. It's the same thing in our relationships. I know it sounds simplified, what I'm saying, but it really is that simple. 
Now, some people may require some extensive therapy to move away from some of these, this baggage. But you could begin today, through God's power, to ask God to heal you of those hurts and to help you to choose a different response. When I was growing up, let's say, um, my mother used to always insult me. And so every time someone tells me I'm doing the dishes wrong, I want to yell at them. But now, th I'm just use making an example, um, giving an example. But now I've decided, after coming to this workshop, that I don't need to respond that way anymore. So you prepare yourself. You know, the next time someone says that to me, I don't have to respond that way. So when it happens, you choose a different response. And the more you start practicing that, the blurrier that neural pathway gets. We can't erase it. The, the yeah, the former pathway. But the new one becomes the engraved pathway. And the more we push ourselves to be changed, the more we surrender ourselves to Christ. That's why, for those people who don't believe, I don't know how they do it. I do clinical therapy, and by law, I cannot just do spiritual counseling, but I always ask people, would you like to do this from a faith-based perspective? And I'm always so relieved when people say yes, because it's so much more difficult to counsel someone and not invoke the power of Christ in their healing process. So with God's power, we can heal. We can choose that new pathway, and we can walk on that pathway. And it's not easy, but it is possible to do it, to choose a different path. So we can learn to communicate with grace. We can learn to be proactive. We can learn to do things differently. So the steps to take control of ourselves. So we said there were three things in that space between the stimulus and the response, between the situation and the response. What was number one? Pause, pause. So everyone, put your two fingers up like this if you could humor me, very good. So you know on your DVD player you have those two lines? And, and it means pause, right? So now put your hand here. So now you officially have your own pause button. Keep doing it, keep doing it, don't stop want you to practice real well. All right, now, here's what you should never, ever, 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 ever do. I know you're gonna be tempted, but don't ever do this. Okay, you're gonna see the, uh, say, but, but babe, the Oliver said you should pause. I should pause, I yeah, should pause. You can only pause yourself. Please, don't make us be bad teachers. Because you're going to be tempted to push that other person's pause button. You're going to say, but you know, if only you could be proactive. The whole point of being proactive is living in my circle of control, is controlling myself. This is the big challenge every day. Because we can always figure out what someone else has to do. Because when we picture ourselves, 
we picture ourselves as perfect. With a halo. We have little halos. And the other person is the one who needs to learn how to do something else. And let's say that is true. Let's say you are pretty close, ready for translation. <laughs> that living in th your circle of control is going to be e the even harder for you. Because you're perfect and everyone else around you has a problem. Now you have to exercise extreme self-control because you've got to live with all of the unsaintly people. <laughs> so learn to push the pause button. Now, if you're from, if you're from a culture or from a place where this is a, a, a bad signal, please don't do it. Like, don't say, hey, well, we went to this workshop and they said to do this. I'm, I'm just kidding. All right. So number two. Oops, sorry. <laughs> think. Think about what you should and shouldn't do. And number three. Choose. 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 Choose the right response. Choose the right response to do. This stuff is hard. But here's the promise of success. What is it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can do it. We can all do it. We're about to end. Just before we end, we want to pray a special prayer for couples, married couples, for parents, for grandparents, for people who are widowed, divorced, separated, whatever your circumstances, never married, want to pray for you. And we want to pray in a special way for those of you who want special prayer. So if you want to be a better husband, you want to be a better wife, a better father, a better mother, better cousin, better grandma, better grandpa, a better son, a better daughter. And you want to say, William and Elaine, play, pray for us. Pray for me. I want my relationships to be transformed through the Spirit of God. I want to be proactive. I want to communicate with grace. Because by so doing, I make an existential choice to make my circle a nicer place. By making that choice, I help my church to be a healthier place, a stronger place, a place of healing. If this is your desire, we'd like to invite you to stand just where you are. Not everyone, just those of you who want this special prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, we're just so awed by your goodness towards us. We want to thank you for the blessing of family, for the blessing of relationships. We know, Lord, that because we live in a fallen world, that many of us, if not all of us, have experienced 
some kind of brokenness. But we are so comforted by the fact that your medicine of love, of grace, of forgiveness can heal even the deepest of wounds. And so, Lord, we just ask that today, this week, as we go through this, these wonderful meetings, that we will open our hearts to you, that we will allow ourselves to receive uh, infilling of your sweet spirit, that we will receive your healing power in our lives, in our marriage, in our relationships. I thank you, Father, that you've promised to be with us always. You've promised to give us your peace. You've promised to supply all of our needs. These are your people. You know them. And today they're asking for more grace, for more strength, for more patience, for more kindness that as they negotiate their relationships, they may do so with the Spirit of Christ. Come into their lives in a special way, transform them, and as they leave this place, may they leave with the assurance that you are with them, and through your strength, they too can be patient and kind. And as our relationships Model the relationship, the relationship that you want us to show the world. May people come to know you because of the way we love one another. Thank you for hearing. Thank you for answering our prayers. And make us ready for the day that will come soon. May we be on your side, on the sea of glass because we have trusted, we have surrendered, and now we will hear the words, well done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.